Section 2 of Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 21, March 23, 1880. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 21, March 23, 1880. The Shortest Bamboo, or How to Catch a Thief. An East Indian Story. This story is perfectly true and was told by its hero, Colonel C., of the 91st Highlanders. There was a terrible stir in the barracks of the blank native infantry at Secundurabad, Alexander's town, one bright morning at the beginning of the dry season. Some money had been stolen from the officers' quarters during the night, and all that could be made out about it was that the theft must have been committed by one of those inside the building for nobody had got in from without. The officers' native servants and the Sepoy soldiers, to a man, stoutly declared that they knew nothing about it, and the officer of the day, with great disgust, went to make his report to the colonel. Now the colonel was a hard-headed old Scotchman, who had spent the best part of his life in India, and knew the Hindus and their ways by heart. He heard the story to an end without any sign of what he thought of it, except a queer twinkle in the corner of his small gray eye. Then he gave orders to turn out the men for morning parade. When the colonel appeared on the parade ground, everybody expected that the first thing would be an inquiry about the stolen money. But that was not the old officer's way. Everything went on just as usual, and the thief probably chuckled to himself at the idea of getting off so easily. But if so, he chuckled a little too soon. Just as the parade was over and the men were about to dismiss, the colonel stepped forward and shouted, Halt! The men wonderingly obeyed. The colonel planted himself in front of the line, carrying a small bag under his arm, as was now noticed for the first time, and running his eye keenly over the long ranks of white frocks and dark faces, spoke to them in Hindustani. Soldiers, I find there are dogs among you who are not true to their salt and after taking the money of the Rani of Inglistan, the Queen of England, steal from her officers. But such misdeeds never go unpunished. Last night, here the colonel's tone suddenly became very deep and solemn, I had a dream. I dreamed that a black cloud hovered over me, and out of it came a figure, the figure of Kali. At the name of this terrible goddess, who holds the same place in the Brahmin religion as the evil one in our own, the swarthy faces turned perfectly livid, and more than one stalwart fellow was seen to shiver from head to foot. There is a thief among your soldiers, she said, and I will teach you how to detect him. Give each of your men a splinter of bamboo, and the thief, let him do what he may, will be sure to get the longest, and when he is found, let him dread my vengeance. By this time, every soldier on the ground was looking so frightened that, had the colonel expected to detect the thief by his looks, he might have thought the whole regiment equally guilty. But his plan was far deeper than that. At his signal, each man in turn drew a bamboo chip from the bag which the colonel held, and when all were supplied, he ordered them to come forward, one by one, and give back the chips which they had drawn. He was obeyed. But scarcely had a dozen men passed when the colonel suddenly sprang forward, seized a tall Rajput by the throat, and shouted, in a voice of thunder, You're the man! 
Mercy, mercy, Sahib. Master, howled the culprit, falling on his knees. I'll bring back the money. I'll bear any punishment you please. Only don't give me up to the vengeance of Kali. Well, said the colonel sternly, I'll forgive you this once, but if you're ever caught again, you know what to expect. Dismiss. I say, see. How on earth did you manage that? asked the senior major as he and the colonel walked away together. I suppose you don't want me to believe that you really did get that idea in a dream. Hardly, laughed the colonel. The fact is, those bamboo chips were all exactly the same length and the thief, to make sure of not getting the longest, bit off the end of his. And so I knew him at once. Take my word for it, there'll be no more thieving in the regiment while I'm its colonel. And, indeed, there never was. Begun in number 19 of Harper's Young People, March 9th. Across the Ocean, or A Boy's First Voyage. A True Story by J. O. Davidson. Chapter 3, Our Hero's First Fight. It was well for Austin that he had been struck by the small coal instead of the heavier pieces, or he might have been killed outright, as it was after a dash of cold water and a short rest in his bunk. He was almost as sound as before, but the accident had worse results than a few bruises. He was at once set down as an awkward landlubber, dismissed from his coal shoveling in order to do duty in the lamp room. This was a dismal hole in the lowest part of the ship where even what little light there was had to struggle through an iron grating. Behind the counter that ran halfway round it stood several large iron tanks, strongly padlocked, labeled soap, oil, waste, lampwicks, etc. The floor was covered with various necessaries for engine use, and from the beams overhead swung lamps of all shapes and sizes, while the walls were covered with bolts, bars, hammers, and tools of every kind. This pleasant place usually fell to the charge of someone who was fit for nothing else, and its present occupant was a lengthy youth known as Monkey, a name fully warranted by his narrow watery eyes, enormous underjaw, and huge projecting bat-like ears. He had been cruising backward and forward in the Arizona for years, till he seemed quite to belong to her, and although he disappeared as soon as she reached port, he always found out the day of her departure and time to join her again. How, no one knew, for he could neither read nor write. Frank's appointment, of course, displaced Monkey, and neither was pleased with the change. Monkey much preferred even the dismal lamp room, where he had only to serve out a certain quantity of stores daily, and to see that nothing was lost or stolen, to the harder work of scrubbing the engine room, which now fell to his share. While Austin, used as he was to outdoor exercise, felt quite miserable in this dungeon-like hole, where he could not even see to read. He was on duty from dusk till dawn, and even liable to be roused up at night, should anything be wanted. His meals were given him after all the rest were served, and only very rarely did he get the chance of asking a question, or learning anything that he wished. Nor did his troubles end there. The men who in monkey's time had been allowed to help themselves pretty freely to the ship's stores, were enraged at finding that their new storekeeper could neither be bribed nor bullied into letting them have anything without orders. One of Frank's greatest troubles was the giving out of soap, a priceless luxury in the forecastle of a steamer, where the grit, coal dust, and irritating brine are unbearable, if not promptly washed off. For a piece of soap, the ship's allowance being unusually small, 
shirts stockings and even tobacco were gladly bartered and those who had been shrewd enough to lay in a stock before sailing drove a brisk trade this gave our friend monkey a chance which he was not slow to use he began by hinting to the crew that frank's care of the stores was meant to curry favor with the officers and then he went on to losing or stealing whatever he could and laying the blame on austin nor were these the most serious tokens of ill-will one day he managed to give frank a push which sent him down through a trap-door though he luckily escaped unhurt another time a similar trick hurled him into the well in which the ship's pump worked and he only avoided serious injury by clinging to the shaft at last as frank was serving out stores one afternoon monkey suddenly darted off with a bar of soap and being pursued into the engine room by austin declared that the latter had been about to sell it to one of the men and that he had just come in time to prevent him a statement confirmed by the sailors in vain poor frank denied the charge he was roughly ordered to hold his tongue and give up the storeroom keys to their former possessor monkey this was hard indeed but as the proverb says it is a long lane that has no turning and our hero's affairs suddenly took a turn which neither he nor any one else could have foreseen the pride of a steamer is her machinery and at all hours of the day men may be seen polishing it with balls of cotton waste till it shines like silver but if you venture to touch the glittering surface you find it burning hot and scorch your fingers pretty smartly one day frank was polishing the broad round top of the cylinder protected by a thick rope mat from the burning metal when monkey sneaking up behind suddenly jerked away the mat throwing him right on to the hot surface smarting with pain austin sprang to his feet and regardless of his enemy's superior bulk and strength flew at him like a tiger the two grappled and rolled on the floor frank undermost monkey's small cunning eyes gleamed wickedly as he saw that they were close to the edge of the crank pit the space in which the crank of the shaft revolves and he exerted all his strength to fling austin into it but the latter who had not played football for nothing suddenly wrenched himself free and dodging round behind his enemy sprang upon his back and grasped his throat like a vice down went the valiant monkey upon the hard grating with a whack that made his big mouth swell up bigger than ever and pinned beneath frank's knee he howled shrilly for help his cries were answered by a loud laugh from the skylight above through which several of the crew had been watching the combat at the same moment the second engineer appeared on the scene what fighting you young imps is that how you do your work here williams take em both to the first officer and report him for fighting on duty to be continued end of section two